I'm uh, very official today. You notice that? You notice that, Jerry? This is one of my official days. It is the last day that I am celebrating the luxuriance of my magnificent mustache. The next time you see me, I'll look like every insurance man. <laughs> yeah, you know, if they could come up with a beard and a mustache, it had a zipper on it. Yeah, you could put it on and take it off. <laughs> so I'm very official today. Now, uh, by the way, uh, there will be many elements in this program that are not fit for sensitive ears. This is a disclaimer, and the management takes no responsibility for what it may do to your head. Uh, we have here a letter that says, Shepard, for crying out loud, Shepard. I see you writing Playboy all the time. In fact, I see you got a story in the current issue, the August issue of Playboy. Please, help me. I'm a 12-year-old kid, and I'd like to know where I can sell my great writing. Well, son, we've just been looking at the copy of uh, Writer's Digest. Here's for all of you readers and writers out there who would like to do a little freelance writing. Here's a suggestion, a new market for all of you out there. It's a note in June, issue of Writer's Digest. The letter, it says, Casket and Sunnyside Magazine is interested in receiving feature stories, preferably amusing, covering new and established funeral homes, developments in the funeral industry, burial vaults, motor vehicles, embalming techniques, and uh, public relations. We are also interested in the expanding market for material for our new concrete burial vault section. There's a new market for those of you, and we're going to do this as a continuing public service, give you markets for your funny writing and jazzy little things that you think about there. So, for those of you interested in writing in Casket and Sunnyside, using anecdotes about your favorite funeral parlor, will you get in touch with... Uh, do you know that they have cartoons in mortuary magazines? You ought to see what they're like. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, uh... There's also part of our uh, continuing public service tonight, uh, direct from the British Broadcasting Corporation. We would like to salute our friends across the sea, our brothers in England. <laughs> brack, brack. H.G. Grubbichev, with tonight's salute for Englishmen everywhere. Yes, we shall fight them from the hedgerows. We shall fight them on the beaches. We shall fight them with blood, sweat, and tears. There shall always, by God, be an England. Tonight, as part of the British Broadcasting Corporation's third overseas service, we present tonight's salute to the English spirit, wherever it might be, on the sands of the Katamandu deserts, under the burning skies of the Gobi, and in the streets of Magellan itself. The sun never sets on the English spirit. Tonight we salute three Englishmen, in fact, three prime English citizens from London itself, old London town, the home of Samuel Johnson and other great Englishmen of history past. Three burly bandits armed with a shotgun have been routed by three elderly pensioners, Englishmen, of course, one wielding a handbag, one a can of corned beef, the other simply a pair of gnarled ancient fists who dealt with the Boers on the veldt in Africa. 
It happened in a suburban manor park as the thugs fled from a post office with 300 pounds stuffed in a bag after shooting and wounding, dastardly wounding, the postmistress. But they didn't recognize on the gang-busting trio of Bill Wiggs, Norma Haskell, and disabled World War I veteran Harry Hammett, who faced the enemy at the Argonne. They were now arriving to pick up their old age pensions at the very moment that the dastardly deed occurred. One of the bandits told Mr. Wiggs to get out of my way. This aroused Mr. Wiggs, aroused his ire so much that he whacked the bandit over the head with his can of corned beef. We quote Mr. Wiggs at this point. It left a fair old dent in the can, I must say. Two of the hapless thugs leaped into their car at this and fled. But little Mrs. Haskell, weight 79 pounds, age 87, swept in, swinging her handbag on the third who was carrying the loot. She grabbed him and, dra- and he then dragged her ten yards along the pavement as she clung to his knee, swacking him constantly with her umbrella with her free left hand. Then Mr. Hammett, Mr. Hammett, 87, leaped in, his crutch flying, also his fist flying to help her. The bandit ended up lying helplessly, beaten on the pavement. The bandit, weight 210 pounds, age 26, with the money underneath him. They kept him here, brandishing their corned beef can, brandishing their cane, brandishing their bumper shoot, until the bobbies arrived to take him away to the tower. So tonight, we salute the indomitable English spirit. It will not be ground into dust. It will not be wiped from the face of the earth. We may not have an empire, but by God, we have Englishmen. Where exists an Englishman? Remember Englishmen everywhere. Where exists one Englishman? There exists the empire of the spirit. Henry V lives on in every Englishman. So tonight, British Broadcasting Corporation on its third overseas broadcasting service salutes Englishman Bill Wiggs, Englishwoman Norma Haskell, and partly disabled Boa War veteran Harry Hammett. These are English people. Stay tuned for Lady Leota Van Brocklin and her program, The Geranium Menu, and her wonderful essay on runic ruins in Leeds. is the British Broadcasting Corporation's third overseas broadcast service. At the sound of Big Ben, the 6 p.m. news. Why do they stick that stuff in my show? Why can't gambling get that kind of stuff? That's his. He's classical. He's really... Yeah, crying out loud. By the way, before we get too far deeply immersed in tonight's... Hey, you know, did you... Did you you know, I, I just... You know, it just, just occurred to me... You know, 
people are talking more and more about the benignness of nature. How groovy it is out there in the woods, right? Groovy. We'd like to salute tonight Gary Althouse. Gary Althouse, he lives in uh, West Palm Beach, Florida. I quote, All I could see was teeth! 15-year-old Gary Althouse said as he nursed head wounds after being attacked by a 12-foot alligator. Recuperating at his suburban West Palm Beach Springs, Florida home, Gary told Monday how he was dragged underwater with his head in the gator's jaws at Lake Sago last Friday. I was, I was swimming, just swimming on my back in my inner tube about 50 yards from shore when something grabbed me and pulled me under, Gary said. All I could see was teeth. Let you think about that for a minute. I don't know whether you are aware of how many teeth an 11-foot alligator has and how large those teeth are. And, you know, there's not a single soul, not one of us. Now, let's get, let's get down to the core of it. Right now, for a second here, gang. It's Friday night. What the hell is a weekend coming up, you know? You can live it off. You can work it off. You don't have to get up in the morning. You can think about things the way they really are, just once in a week. Is there one of us when swimming? Secret to, secretly to himself, has not suspected that there's something under there and it's going to grab you? There ain't one of us who has not felt that. Especially swimming in a lake something about lakes. The water's green. You can't see the bottom. Yeah. Can you imagine this guy? You know, he's the same as we all are. Oh, we, all human, in fact, all animals. One thing about the animal world, and we are part of it, friends, whether you like it or not, and already I can see myself being deluged by next Monday with a great drift of tracts that will arrive. Mr. Shepard, I heard you say that we, the man, the glorious creature of God, is part of the animal kingdom. This is blasphemy, and I have enclosed a wonderful booklet that will straighten you out. You will see the error of your ways. Yes, once you accept the word, once you accept the word, you will realize...
In case you're interested, that's the way it should be played. Ain't easy to accept. Now, hang out of your life raft, gang. Hang on to your inner tube. Here comes something with teeth. That's got me in a commercial. I'm thinking. Come, Come on. Come on over. Yeah, yeah. Show some dance. Show some dance. Show some parking. Some parking. So cheap. Come on over. Let's go. Here's the where it goes. We're at time. Buy some most Palisades amusement park swings all day and after dark. Ride the coaster, get cool in the waves and the pool, you'll have fun. So, so come on over. Oh, that's a great commercial there. Whew. Oh, that was exciting. Yeah. Yeah, there ain't a man jack, there ain't one of us that isn't secretly afraid one day. Is really going to happen. I don't know what it is that we're afraid of, but it, you know, something with teeth. Something that has absolutely no conscience. <laughs> Which reminds me, this is WOR, New York. Yes, sir. Talk about teeth. Oh, New York's got them. They'll grind you up and spit you out. But, uh, you know, uh, speaking of these things with the teeth there, uh, did I tell you about the, you know, you, you're sitting out there, you think nature is, you know, so great and benign and it doesn't hurt anybody. It's kind of groovy, you know. Well, I have this friend, see, and uh, he's got this place that he lives in part of the year. He happens to be a TV director, so he's not a retired old gentleman, anything like that. He's got this place, see, and he spends two or three weeks every couple of months down in Florida. He bought this place down there. He looked at the fish and all that. And right in front... <laughs> this is a terrible story. I really shouldn't tell you this. Right in front of his... Right in front of his house, this little house he's got, about 30 feet away from it, is a canal. It's all, you know, it's a canal. See, there's a lot of canals down there. Huh? Water all over the place, see. And there's weeds growing out of the canal, and there's fish in the canal once in a while. You know, the guys go past their little boats and stuff. And there's houses. Nice ladies once in a while come out and have parties and things. And he's sitting there one night, and he's got this a pure city guy. Remember this? He's from New York. And his idea of, you know, nature is uh, the thing that you see going behind Glenn Holden movies, <laughs> you know, late, late movies when he's got this big 10-gallon hat and he's riding his horse, you know, and... John Wayne is after him. And uh, nevertheless, he, nature is a thing which he reads about in magazines like, uh, oh, like Leisure, stuff like that, see. So here he is. He's sitting on the on the patio of his little pad down there, a couple of, uh, this is back, this winter, this past winter, see. So this is not a story of the past, if you think that. He's sitting there, see, and he's got his hand clamped on a, on a whiskey and soda. In case you're curious what kind of whiskey he, he, uh, <laughs> He actually, he, uses, he, he happens to be a particularly partial to something called Ainsley Scotch, which I do not drink. I'm not a Scotch man, so I don't think I'm getting plugs. 
So I just want to tell you, he's kind of an elegant type. And he's sitting there and he's drinking his whiskey and soda. Would never think of using anything but Schweppes. You know, he's uh, elegant. He's got, his, he's got his madras shorts that he got at Abercrombie and Fitch, especially made for the outdoor man. See? His station wagons pulled up. Station wagons, I think, called Suburban Safari. Just kind of an interesting name for a station wagon, suburban safari. So, yeah, if you've seen that one with the chrome thing on the side, you know what a safari is, right? You know what the suburbs are, right? Well, you only have safaris in the wilderness. So that's in a sense saying that the suburbs is a real wilderness. And in many ways they are. It depends on whether you view it philosophical or, uh, you know, whether you judge it by the height of the hedges. So, uh, nevertheless, my buddy is sitting there. The beautiful evening, twilight. And uh, the sun is going down. And next door to him, about uh, maybe 75 or 100 feet away, are these nice ladies in print dresses. Elderly gentlemen, and kind of white sideburn types, you know, and they've got their blue tropical worsted suits, and they're having an evening, a little kind of gathering out there under the st- just the, the gathering stars of the beautiful semi-tropical climate, and the breezes are blowing in off the ocean, a half a mile away, and you can smell the soft smell of a Florida night, and uh, there's there's faint music playing someplace off in the distance. It's kind of like paradise, you know? And he's sitting there with his scotch, his soda, and he's sipping it quietly, and he's observing the sunset. And he has just said to the person who was with him, you know, the peace, the beauty, the glory, the... How, how, how shall I put it? The oneness of nature with, with us, moments in our lives, gives us a feeling that we have lost something by, by uh, creating this civilization of ours. He's given the pompous statements of this type. And, uh, yes, there's what it's about, Clifford. He looks up there and he sees the clouds swirling and the soft breezes blowing. <laughs> and next door, a couple of hundred yards away, these nice ladies are walking around with their iced tea and their lemonade in their hands and, you know, a couple of the old guys who once in a while nipping a little surreptitious bourbon. And it's a quiet... You can smell the steaks. They're cooking them out there on the patio, see. And a couple of little dogs are playing around. One of them happened to be a... Uh, well, actually, if you're curious, was one was a Yorkshire. And the other one happened to be a Dachshund. You know, just two little dogs. They're part of the party. They're playing around there, see. Well, the Dachshund is going... Wah, wah, wah. You know how dogs go... Yep, yep, yep. And it's just sort of peaceful. Man is at one with his fellow creatures. Well, the dachshund, my buddy is watching a dachshund. He happens to think dogs. He says, look, Clifford, that lovely little dachshund. Oh, yes. And the dachshund wanders over right to the shore of the canal. Apparently chasing a butterfly or a moth or some quiet little thing in the air. My buddy suddenly sees a swirl in the water. Then there's a gigantic splash. There was a flash of teeth. There was a gleam of a primal eye. And the dachshund joined his innumerable ancestors. That great horde of heaven-bound dachshunds who have lived the life well and who have left this mortal coil. My buddy sat there for one long minute. He couldn't believe what he saw. 
where one instant there was a dachshund, now there is just a quiet butterfly floating unharmed. And the party didn't even see it. The rest of the party. And the Yorkshire kept running around looking for his late friend. Once in a while he'd go, ah, 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 in the bushes. But one thing the Yorkie didn't do. He did not go near the water. So it suggests you stay clear of the water, friend. There's something out there. And it just don't care. Which is the worst part of it. It just don't... How shall I say it? It doesn't just give a darn. That's to quote John Gamma, to quote me. It just don't give a damn, right? All that all that jazz. I didn't invent that story either, by the way, Fred. Hey, reset that. Hey, I'll, I'll give you a brass fig leggie with a bronze oak leaf palm. <laughs> well, you know, the fear, the fear that this unmentionable thing is going to happen to us, just it's going to happen to us, is with us all the time. The fear that somehow something so bad, you can hardly put it in the words, it's going to occur. And we have intimations from time to time. It's like the time, and it always happens under the most beautiful circumstances. It never happens when you expect it. You know, the skies are gray and great black clouds roar across. The lightning goes... Nothing. Nothing. My old man had a great phrase, which I had not heard yet in a long time. I can remember my old man looking out of the kitchen once in a while, you know, in the sink there. We got a bunch of old dishes that got to be washed. It's Saturday morning. My old man's standing by the sink and he's looking out and it's a beautiful day. He always did it a beautiful day. Fantastic day. Temperature 74. Sky is this beautiful, beautiful blue, great fluffy cottony clouds floating. And the old man's phrase, which has stuck with me for years on these beautiful days, he'd look out and he would simply say, oh, boy. Now, you're going to need this, Jerry. You better listen. The old man would look out and he'd look at this beautiful day and he would say, oh, boy. What a day for a murder. i just let that soak there for a while let you think about it. Because these are the days upon which these things happen. You know, that's that's true horror. And that's where most guys who make horror movies fail. They always have the terrible thing happen in the middle of this uh, tremendous black storm. Who cares? Nothing comes in on the green phone anyway. It's off the hook. <laughs> you know, you, 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 you just... You, to me, horror is when something comes out of the water in the middle of Eden. That's horror. Well, I, you know, the first time it ever happened to me. Now, I'm going to tell you this next story, friends. This story is not for the fainted or the weak heart. This is not for the person who is uh, basically squeamish. This is a word of advice. Don't stay tuned because you're going to get sicker and you know what. Well, I'll tell you what I did. Beautiful Sunday. I've got a date. I am dating this girl who is made of alabaster. Let's put it this way. 
a combination of alabaster, soft, faint summer breezes, a touch of magnificently sculptured ivory, rose petals, and gentian. She, you know the chick, right? You've known her yourself, Jim, I'm sure. All of us have known this this peerless, flawless, non-pareal. And uh, she floated above the ground. She never really touched the ground. She did not live on the earth, the, the earthy soil that you and I trod, tromp on, roll in, sniff and snort in the bushes in. No, no. She was ethereal. And uh, I had been observing her from afar for some time, as one often does goddesses. In fact, that's often the only way to observe a goddess, because quite often, if you get involved with a goddess, one is liable to get a lightning bolt right in the ear. After all, not only gods can hurl lightning bolts, friends. Goddesses are pretty good at the uh, heavenly thunder, too. You're right. There's a rule of thumb. The groovier they look, the more trouble they are. That's a rule of thumb. That's one of the, one of the best arguments in favor of short... Uh, you know, kind of short, stocky girls with thin mustaches and bad skin. They're usually what is called euphemistically good sports. They better be. <laughs> so, uh, all right, you know, uh, this is a, this is the scene, and it is now Sunday. It's a beautiful Sunday. I have polished my my uh, Robin's Egg Blue Ford to such a fantastic high polish that it was almost impossible for the mortal eye to look upon it in the sun without uh, reeling from the radiance and the brilliance of this magnificent chariot of passion and dreams. <laughs> you like that, didn't you? Okay. All right, you got the picture. See, I've been working on this baby, you know, from about Wednesday on. The date is Sunday. And we are driving out to the forest preserves where we are about to have a romantic picnic. As my friend Bolas always referred to them as picnics. And, uh, you know, you go along with the neighborhood. And so we are driving out. We have a basket of food in the back seat of the Ford. The top is down. The hood is gleaming ahead of me. I have uh, a full tank of gas, which meant I had four gallons in it. That's about as much as I've ever had in the car at any one given time. And uh, I have, uh, you know, the oil is right up there to the top, and everything is going along. And, and for once, the fuel pump is working. I was plagued by fuel pump trouble all through my, my adolescence. Many people are plagued by sex problems. I never had that. Never? Nope. Sorry. Hate to disappoint you, Philip Roth. Hate to disappoint you, Arthur Copet. And you, Edward Albee, I was not plagued by sexual problems. I was, however, plagued by broken axles. I had a Chevy once. It used to break axles on the hour, every hour, every second Wednesday. Just thawing like that every Wednesday at 6. It would break an axle. I would leap out, take my spare axle out of the trunk. I could fix an axle in that Chevy in less than, oh, maybe six or seven minutes. I was that good at it. You get good at practice. You know, practice, you get good at things. In this Ford, as a matter of fact, I could change the fuel pump in that Ford. It always happened when I stopped at a light. I would pull up to the light, and I knew it. You see, I, I sense it. You see, you sense trouble in the air when you know your car well. And I, I drive up to the light. And sure enough, the red light is on. I would stop, and I would feel that just that faint drop-off of power. <laughs> the car starts to go. Instantly, I'd cut the switch. I'd run out, run the back, 
Out would come my bag of tools and my spare kit to rebuild the fuel pump, which I had bought at Manny, Moe, and Jack, the Pep Boys, the day before, always, before I went out. I never carried a, anything less than two or maybe three spare fuel pumps with a car. Well, I was so good at it, I could have the hood up, the fuel pump changed, the diaphragm and the washer in the fuel pump changed. Back in the seat, the car going full blast by the time the light was yellow. Talent, that's all. Talent and practice. Well, on this day, it was a beautiful day, see. And, boy, you know, I'm just feeling that. I could feel there was the yeast of, of uh, the, 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 the vital stuff, the... The uh, humana vitae was pouring through me, the, le- the blood of humankind. Oh, you know, you know that feeling that you could do anything. <laughs> you know, <sighs> you want to devour the earth. And sitting next to me was this magnificent creature of alabaster and gentian. Oh. I was with the cars, bumper to bumper, and then as the traffic began to slowly peter out, we're getting further out in the country, and the skies are getting bluer, and the trees are getting greener, and the grass is getting softer and more lush. She is getting unbelievably sensual to me. You know, it's beginning to hit me, the sun. See, the human beings are like uh, any other creature. They are motivated by these vast solar forces. I was drawing vitality from the sun itself, and it's beaten down on my head. (laughs) Oh, listen, there's nothing. Every time you see pictures, you know, of, of Jamaica on the television... The commercials, Jamaica, Barbados. What do you see? You see all these eyeballs rolling in passion. You don't see that when they're giving you a commercial to visit picturesque Greenland. No, it's the sun that brings out the passion in man. The sun was bringing out the passion in me. My eyeballs were sweating. You know, we're just suppressed animal vitality. And sitting next to me is this creature with the wind blowing through her magnificent golden mane. It's fantastic hair. Just floating like a like a like a cloud of golden filaments. And her chiseled profile. Her magnificent pools of amethyst that she used for eyes seemed to be catching a bit of the animal magnetism that was flowing like a like a rich a rich effluvia in our car. This by the way is a wonderful middle English word which comes from flux, a fluxia, a fluxus. We could go into that. It, 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 it's beyond the scope of this course. Uh, you'll get that next semester. But nevertheless there I am sitting in the middle of this passion and this this convertible of mine, blue. When I notice, out of the corner of my eye, because when you're driving a car that's on the edge of disaster at all times, you are always aware of imminent tragedy. I notice that the that the temperature gauge is now up in red. I see a little stream of steam. I got to stop. So I see ahead of me a shell station. I said, uh, I'm going to pull into the shell station, baby, to get a little water for the radiator. And, uh, you can't make that sound very sexy, you know. It's a, that Even 
Cary Grant would have trouble with that, you know, to make it sound like, you know, like a, an imminent seduction. I'm going to pull into the shell station. We need a little radiator water here. It's overheating. Well, I didn't say that so was I, see. And then she says, oh. I said, yes. And so we pull into the shell station, and a couple of, you know, pump jockeys come out, and there are a whole lot of other cars are there, see. Uh, pump jockeys, the guy says, what do you want? I says, where's the water, Mac? It's around the back there where the pumps are. So I drive around. I put the hood up. It's hot. So I say to myself, any of you who know anything about cars, well, you don't just pour cold water into an overheating radiator unless you are prepared to do a lot of walking. And I was not about to. So I said, the sun is really beating down. See, it's booming down. And I said to this magnificent vision, whose name... Happened to be Dorothy. A uh, coincident that most great creatures from uh, from uh, classical mythology seem to bear the same names: Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, Magic, Judy Garland, all of it. I said, uh, uh, "Just take a couple of minutes, Dorothy. I'll uh, let this thing cool off a bit, and I'll put some water in it." She says, "Oh, that's fine." The sun is beaming down, and at that moment, I felt a fantastic love. She did not complain. She accepted the problems of that moment the way a goddess should. Goddess should accept, you know, little things like Hades and various other things that goddesses run into from time to time. And, and uh, she so it's all right. She's above these considerations. I see a couple of other guys in the other cars looking, you know. There's always guys in other cars... Given the, the, you know, the chick that you're with, the total eyeballs. And they're like, ah, you know, hey, baby, you know, waving like that. And she was oblivious of this. She's mine. Totally mine. <laughs> well, <laughs> she, little did I realize, they're off stage in the wings. A moment of total, insidious, sick-making evil was lurking like some great lurching creature with indescribably ugly fins with flashing teeth. The moment of man's triumph also is bred the moment of his defeat. So I said to her, see, I'd been saving for over maybe a week or so, maybe a month for this date. So I had in my pocket, uh, oh, maybe a cool two dollars and a quarter, I could blow anything I wanted, see? So I said to Dorothy, I said, Say, Dorothy, uh, boy, it's hot out, isn't it? Hot, ain't it? I mean, isn't it? She says, oh, it's a beautiful day. Yeah. I'm beginning to sweat a little bit, see? We're sad. Have you ever stood on the concrete driveway of a shell station at 3 o'clock in the afternoon in a midsummer day with the sun standing almost directly overhead. The temperature now is, you know, in the air is probably 90 on this concrete with the sun booming up from and the cars heating up. I would say we were both sitting in maybe 140, 190 degree temperatures. And my, my magnificent Tony Bennett model blue sport coat with the Edwardian collar is beginning to soak down my back and I can feel sweat trickling down into my jockey shorts. And, uh, I'm trying to look very cool. I says, uh, say, uh, Dorothy, would you, uh, how about a 
with a bottle of pop or something, huh? I'm playing a big. Oh, yes, that would be fine. So what do you have? Oh, anything. Doesn't matter. See, goddesses don't know about things like brand names. You know, she's not going to come up and say, give me a wild strawberry yoo-hoo. So she says, oh, it doesn't matter. I said, okay. So I go running over to the Shell station there, and they've got this great big machine. Remember this thing? And it's got ice and all that stuff. So the guy says, uh... And I says, uh... Don't forget to put the bottles back in the thing there, Mac. It's okay. So I fished out on the machine. I put my quarters in and stuff, and out comes the two bottles of stuff, right? A famous soft drink, which is uh, a famous soft drink, known as the real thing, right? <laughs> so, uh, I, uh, I take the pop, you know, I pop the tops off and they're ice cold. See, I feel it grew, so I walk over and I hand her one, and I casually stand there with my arm draped over the side of the car's door, and I take a great big fat suck of the real thing. Ah, that tasted good. Mm, it's cold. You know, this is again restoring the life force to me again. That cool, that, you know, that feeling cool that goes down your throat when you're hot and, and the, the sun is hanging. Just the right moments. Oh, I take a big sip of it. Mm. Uh, now, I have always had a problem. Anytime I take a big slug of any carbonated drink, Something happens to me almost instantly. The minute I take it, just a minute, it's fantastic. It's almost like it's a, it's an instant trigger. It's like it's a relay that goes off somewhere in my gut. The minute I go, it goes, Bleh. I fight it down. It comes up and it goes through my nose. It burns the inside of my nose. You have that problem too? Oh, good, Jim. We're we're in the same problem. See, well, here I'm fighting that tendency. You don't do that, you know, when you're with a goddess. You don't take a sip of this stuff. You don't try to look savoir faire. I mean, after all, this. Uh, does uh, Peter Fonda have this problem when he, you know, or does Fred is there? No, 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 no. So I take another big, I fight it down. She says, oh, boy, that tastes good, doesn't it? She says, yes, it does. She's sipping it like a bee, a bee who has alighted upon a particularly rare, lovely blossom of clover. She's just sipping it. And I take another sip. Ah. Oh, it's Beautiful day. Why, it's really nice out, isn't it, Dorothy? <laughs> yes. Well, I can only wait to get to the uh, forest preserve. Well, I can almost taste uh, the cheese sandwich. My mother made cheese sandwiches. <laughs> Got uh, some tuna salad. But, uh, it's going to be fun, you know. Yes. I take another big slug of the real thing. Ah, it's tasting good. Then all of a sudden... I taste a curious... A curious... Indescribable aftertaste. Well, I look over at Dorothy, and she's sitting there, absolutely oblivious like a lovely little golden bee sipping the honey of time. A goddess. I'm tasting this curious aftertaste. I can't describe it, but I'll tell you this, friends. There are times, even now, that I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning on hot summer nights 
in my fetid pad in midtown Manhattan. I look up at the ceiling, and for one brief instant, I taste that same strange, indescribable, faint, wafting breeze of a curious primal aftertaste. I can't describe it. Once you've tasted it, you'll never forget it. But once you've tasted it, you cannot tell anyone else how it tastes. Unless they, too, have tasted it, at which point it is unnecessary to tell them, and they will merely say, yeah, I know, man. I tasted that taste. Strange. Something made me do it. I don't know what it was. A kind of fugitive instinct. I took the bottle, which was now about half-filled, ice cold, and casually leaning up against the side of my magnificently polished dream chariot, carrying a beautiful goddess to a moment of passion, I held it up to the sun and looked through the faint greenish glass. You know how that green that glass is? And I could see at the bottom of this dark liquid. I could see what looked like a a black cloud, strange swirling black cloud, about an inch or so thick from the bottom. It swirled. I shook it up. I couldn't believe it. At the bottom of the bottle was a thick layer of about maybe an inch or an inch and a half of dead house flies. I have been drinking the juice of dead house flies. Now I know what that strange taste is. It is the decomposed bodies of thousands of tiny winged creatures mixed with this... this elixir of youth. She... And for one brief instant, I could feel everything that I had eaten for the last month and a half beginning to boil and surge down inside. It hit me like a ball bat. I want to tell you. And here she's sitting there. And I said to her, I'll be right back. And I rushed around and the door is locked and a jam. I couldn't hold it. Into the used oil can there. And she's sitting there watching me. It's all over my Tony Bennett sport jacket. Down there on my atomic ends. Saddle shoes. I couldn't stop. Well, friends, I can only say that it was not one of my more successful afternoons. There was a curious, a curious distance between me and my goddess from that moment on. I have never forgotten. Ah!